Welcome to Journey Church Tucson Sermon Podcast. We are an evangelical free church seeking to honor God by making disciples that learn about, love like, and live like Jesus. Amen. Please be seated. Good morning, Journey Church, here in midsummer, week number seven on our sermon series uh, on the Sermon on the Mount that we'll be continuing to the end of the year. Question Have you ever been so hungry that you thought you were going to die? Either you couldn't get what you need or you couldn't get enough of what you need. You thought you were going to die. It was a couple years ago that I dropped my son off at soccer practice at Brandy Fenton Park and I was going for a 10-mile run along the Relito River. And let me just tell you, the, the venti caramel macchiato and jumbo Snickers bar did not prepare me for success. Guaranteed with the caffeine and just the, the high fructose corn syrup, that it was a mile and a half in that I did what endurance athletes call bonking. I had this huge blood sugar spike and depletion. And then I was just like, like just shaking and rattling, just going, oh my goodness, this is not good. And yet I'm a mile and a half in. And of course, you know me, I'm going to finish that run. And so I started in my, in my crazy sugar depleted imagination going, how can I make it through this? And I go, yes, I'm on foot and there's restaurants. I'm going to pull off and get something to eat just to tide me through. Then I realized, wait a second, I don't carry a credit card when I run. And so I, saw, I, I thought, what's the next best thing? This was in September. And I, I remembered thinking, along this trail are mesquite trees. And their beans are loaded with starch and sugar. But it's September. So landscapers and rats and javelina and birds have already eaten up the vast majority of the mesquite bean harvest. But I was so depleted, I just thought, if I can just find one half buried in the soil. And sure enough, in the next half mile, I saw a dirty bean with black mold on it. But I was like this. And so I grabbed it, and as I'm running, I'm using the sweat from my hands to clean it off. And I jam it into my maw. And I start to chew it and mix it with my saliva and swallow whatever kind of sugar and starch I can get out of that old moldy bean to tide me through, to make it to the other end, to survive that journey. Guess what? I just described to you my, journey, my spiritual journey. How about you? Running through life, yes, I found Jesus. I found Jesus. But I haven't found enough of him in my own life. My hunger drives me on. I want more of Jesus. That hunger is a precious thing, but sometimes that very hunger that is for God himself, drives me into other things, wayward things, wrong things. And I find myself consuming things that I should not consume in my life. But let me just tell you this, the hunger itself is good. Hungering for life itself, hungering for God himself. How about you? Are you hungry? Do I, I've got good news. It's, it's the people that are always satiated. They're always satisfied. It's like, okay, have fun plateauing your life. Because God loves the hunger. He loves the hungry. He, even hungry fools like myself. Because he knows that at the, deep, the, the, the bottom of those appetites ultimately is a hunger for himself. And it's the hungry that don't quit, don't give up that are always reaching for more. They want more of God himself, even if at times those hungers lead us to stupid decisions. He does not despise the hunger itself. In fact, a couple weeks ago, we looked at this beatitude 
Verse 6 of Matthew 5, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Hunger is good. And let me just say this, if Matthew 5, 6 describes the appetite, it describes the, the hunger that drives us toward God and his righteousness. Two verses later, the verse that we're looking at today, Matthew 5, 8, describes what is necessary to see and survive God and his righteousness. The hunger drives us to it, but if we're not prepared, it will destroy us. We cannot handle God and his righteousness. And so this is what Jesus says about that. Blessed are the pure in heart. For they shall see God. It's beatitude number six of the Sermon on the Mount. We've already looked at the poor in spirit, those who mourn. We've looked at the meek, those who hunger and thirst. This is related to that. Last week we looked at the merciful. But this morning, blessed are the pure in heart. And then notice what the promise is. They shall see God. It's the hunger of all Hungers. It's the appetite below all of the other drives and desires to see God, the ultimate hope of our life. And in fact, this language is all throughout the scriptures. It was mind-blowing this week, all the way up to this morning, and the Spirit bringing new thoughts and new scriptures into mind. One of them this morning, Psalm 1715, where David says, As for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. He's looking forward to the day that he will see God face to face. And he says, when I awake, which is a, a metaphor for, for dying and waking up in the hereafter. He's looking forward to seeing God face to face, even if you have to die to get there. I shall behold your face in righteousness. When I awake, I shall be satisfied with your likeness. The deepest appetites and hungers of my heart. My deep longings that I try to put bad things into at times. At the bottom of those desires is a desire for God himself. Do you want to see the likeness of God or not? Because a pure heart is what is essential if we would see God. And seeing God is at the very heart of who I am, what I was created for, and why I can't stop being hungry. I want to see God. And this is the first fill in the blank in your, in your notes. If you have your notes out, you want to do this with us. I was created by God and for God that I might see God. Jesus is describing something that is ubiquitous throughout the scriptures, that is ubiquitous. It's everywhere throughout the story of mankind. We were created by God and for God that we might see God. So whatever it is you think you're doing, whatever fantasy it is that you're, you have, whatever uh, uh, um, dream or desire, at the heart of it, underneath it, ultimately nothing in this world will satisfy you, only God himself. Our longing is for God. This is where we, we were created in Genesis chapter 1. We were told that, that God created us in his image and likeness. And what does that mean? That we were, we were created as his representatives and that we actually had God-given responsibility. In Genesis 2, we have God talking directly to the man, giving him commandments like they're talking. 
audible voices. And then sure enough, in Genesis chapter 3, we actually have a physical manifestation of Yahweh himself walking in the garden in the cool of the evening. And it's not weird. It's normal. And I'm here to tell you this. No matter what your spiritual journey, no matter what you believe, no matter how long in following Christ, or maybe you're here, you're an agnostic, you're an atheist. By the way, this, we love you, we're glad you're here. This is a church for atheists. Okay, you can come here and learn with us. You are welcome. But no matter who you are, what you're here, maybe you're even a religious ascetic, which means you like to be really hard on yourself, or maybe you're just a rebel. You're a churchy rebel. You're a rebel kid that walked away, now you're back, you're checking it out. No matter who you are, the thing that you are hungry for, the thing that we are hungry for, is to get back to that place that we were created by God and for God and, and we are from God, that we might see God. Jesus is not talking about a new concept or a new idea, but that for which we were created, that we would see God. Blaise Pascal was a chemist and a theologian from the 17th century said this about this whole idea. He said, there once was in man a true happiness of which now remained to him only the mark and empty trace, which he in vain tries to fill from all his surroundings, seeking from things absent the help he does not obtain in things present, but these are all inadequate because the infinite abyss can only be filled by an infinite and immutable object. That is to say, only by God himself. Only an infinite and immutable God can satisfy our ultimate and infinite hunger. This is what I believe Dave, David, uh, shepherd king of Israel, wrote before he became king in Psalm 1611. My life verse. In your presence... You will show to me the paths of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand, pleasure forevermore. David knew at that age already, God, whatever this world can give is going to be a dim shadow at best of what I'm really actually hungry after. Your presence. And then in another psalm, he says, uh, Psalm 36, They feast on the abundance of your house, and you give them drink from the river of your delights. Sounds pretty good, doesn't it? He goes on to say, for with you is the fountain of life. And then watch the metaphor change from hunger and thirst and appetite to desiring to see. He says, in your light do we see light. So you see this hunger and thirst and this desire to see are related throughout the scriptures all the way into the Sermon on the Mount. And this is what my heart's desire and longing in my daydreaming and my fantasizing is telling me about me. I was made by God and for God that I might see God. How about you? Have you identified those longings, those appetites, even if they're sinful? It's because you're, you're looking for something that you still haven't found. The, the appetite's still there. Now you're going to get in a lot of trouble if you follow them in certain directions. But the appetite itself is good. Telling you that you were made by God and for God. To see God. Something that you cannot find in this world. We want to see God. Because he is true satisfaction. And by the way, this word keeps coming up again and again in the sermon. 
flourishing. That's what the word blessed means. That true flourishing, true blessedness is found ultimately in seeing God. Do you believe that? He's the desire beneath and above all desires. It's who we are made for. The problem is we can't get there anymore. Isn't that sad? It's a bummer. This is the story of, of, of the history of mankind. It's the story of my life. The Apostle Paul explained it like this in his introduction to the book of Romans. He says, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and watch this, and their foolish hearts were darkened. The heart can no longer see. We saying, open the eyes of my heart. The rebellion of mankind produced a blindness and darkness of heart. Moses, the great man of God, longed to see God face to face. And so in Exodus 33, he begged God, God, I've seen you in a burning bush. I've heard your voice, but I want to see you. And God gave him the bad news. Moses, tell you what, I will tuck you in the cleft of a rock. And I'll tell you, look, after my glory passes by, you'll get a glimpse of the end of my glory. But you cannot see me, Moses. As godly as Moses was, you cannot see me. And God says this in Exodus 33:20, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And that is the damage caused by our sinful rebel hearts. Our parents, our great-grandparents, in their rebellion, produce hearts that cannot look upon God and survive. Moses wanted to look upon God, and God says, You can't do it. And this leads us to our second subpoint, if you want to fill in the blank here. That for which I was made is not only impossible, it would be devastating. We can no longer look upon God. And yet Jesus is saying there's something open and available to us, but you can't do it. A conundrum. Psalm 24, back to David. David says this, Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place, in his presence, face-to-face is the idea, intimacy with God himself. He who has a clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to whatever is false, does not swear deceitfully. Oh, great, we can do it. Clean hands and a pure heart. That's all it takes. That's what Jesus is saying. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. I still have a problem with that. Back to actually David's son, Solomon, that says in Proverbs 20, verse 9, who can actually say I have made my, my heart pure and I am clean from my sin? That's a, um, a question that begs an answer. No one, no one can actually pull that off. So we're stuck. I'm a sinner by nature and by choice. I was born with a filthy, polluted, dead heart. I was born into this world already with a dead heart, and yet my longing and the thirst under all thirst, hunger under all hungers, is to see God himself. But I can't because a dirty, polluted, dead heart. This is what Jeremiah would say, or God would say through the prophet. Jeremiah 17, the heart is deceitful above all else and desperately wicked. Who can understand it? This is what A.W. Tozer 
says about this problem, because man is born a rebel. He is unaware that he is one. It's kind of like, it's kind of like the speech, this is water. Tyler, you've mentioned it a few times. A fish doesn't know that he's swimming in water. You say, hey, you're swimming in water. They go, what is that? We're born in rebellion. We don't even know it happened. And this is what he goes on to say, because man is born a rebel. He is unaware that he is one. Sin has many manifestations, but its essence is one. The moral being created to worship before the throne of God sits on the throne of himself or his selfhood. And from that elevated position declares, I am. That is sin in its concentrated essence. Yet because it is natural, it appears good. And so we talk about, he's a self-made man. He's a self-made millionaire. And this is like the, the ones that we go, yeah, they got after it and they made it happen. When it very often is the sin of I am, I will, I am my own God. At the heart of all sin, in its ultimate essence. And so here's the deal. I cannot see God because the eyes of my heart are dead, clogged up, blinded. A dead heart is a blind heart. And because of that, we do things. We have attitudes and behaviors. And this sinfulness manifests itself in sinful attitudes and actions. For instance, pride and arrogance, cynicism, filthy thoughts, sexual immorality, bitterness, unforgiveness, slander, evil suspicion. When you think that everything is bad, everything is evil, everything is off limits, even because you're so spiritual, that in and of itself becomes evidence of a sinful, damaged, darkened heart. How do I know? Titus 1.15, to the pure all things are pure. But to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing's pure. Paul says that both their minds and their consciences are defiled. So do you see sin everywhere? Everything's sin. Everything's a no. Don't touch. Don't say. Don't think. Because Paul would say that's evidence. There's your dead heart again. His ugly, damaged, sinful heart is a legalistic, judgmental heart as well. As a sinful and rebellious heart. The list goes on. Judging, condemning, grumbling, complaining, pouting. God's not good. I don't trust him. He hasn't given me enough. All these things are just evidence of this sinfulness. And because of that, we can't see God. I have a little illustration. These are my first prescription glasses. They're in a little less good shape than these ones. Anyone? How many fingers am I holding up? I don't know. You've got to tell me. Okay, I need a, need a volunteer, a kid in our audience. Jack, right? Get up here, man. First to wave. Jack, I'm going to give you an eye test really quick, but you're going to wear these glasses. Come on, come on, come on, come on. This is Jack Coat. His mom, dad, dad's, a, yep, Jack, put, put these on. Okay, smile. Oh, come on, dude. You got to hold them up. Okay, smile at the camera. There. Okay, how many fingers am I holding up? I showed you before. Okay, now what? 
No one. See, you're, you're, give it up for Jack. Jack, thank you. Do you want, Jack, do you want to keep these? Last week he took home one of the fishing hooks. Do you want to take these home? Probably not. Okay. <laughs> they do need a good clean though. So any op, optometrist, ophthalmologist, we can, anyway. And there's dust up here now. Dave, we might need to re-clean the carpet. A little mud. So I think that was done last week too. But here's the deal. Here's the point. Um, blindness. Dirt. Mud, muck, decay. This is the, the eyes of a dead heart. We were made to see God, but be, we cannot see God. We cannot see God. And not only does sin in darkness and in a dead heart damage our ability to see, can I also tell you, there's, it's, this is fascinating. This is fascinating. This is also grace. It's also grace. Because if the sinful person, the sinner, were to see God in his maximum glory, it would destroy and obliterate the sinner. It's described throughout Scripture that, that God is, an, is a consuming holy fire. He dwells in insurpassable light. And so no man can look upon the face of God. No one. And so what is a curse and a judgment is also a gift of grace because it would destroy us, and yet it's what we long for. What are we to do with this conundrum? What are we to do? Do what Jesus is inviting us to do. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed, we've talked about this word, I've already talked about it today, it's flourishing, thriving. The idea that we would see God is is. Ultimately, we will get to be in his presence, maximum glory, and it will not destroy us. But let me also tell you, there's an invitation for today. What you are hungering for can begin to be satiated. The things that you think that you're hungry for, that you keep going back to, something's even sinful. That if you... you Respond to the appetite and say, God, I know I think I want this, but I know it's actually this. It's you. That there can be some satisfaction and a growing fulfillment in this lifetime to that which you are truly and ultimately hungering after. And this is the invitation. Yes, one day, completely and in full. But beginning today. And it's what we describe in theology as the tension between the now and the not yet. That God is inviting us into a way of life that is called flourishing, that is called blessedness. And it will lead to a moment in time, in space, in history when we will see him as he is. Face to face. And get back to that which we were created for. What does that take? Purity of heart. What is heart? Because when I was a kid three and a half years old, Sunday school teacher said that if I would pray, Jesus would come into my heart and wash away my sins. And I'm going to tell you, I still remember, I have memories from two years old. My wife can testify. My, my mom, my sisters go, how do you remember that stuff? Oh, I can remember. I just, I don't know. I, I have that mind. But at three and a half, when, when it clicked with me and someone said, invite Jesus into your heart and he will wash it, I had this picture of Jesus in his robes in a very dark chest cavity, and he's probably putting up a stepladder. I'm dead serious. And he's got a bucket and a washcloth, 
And I'm thinking, it's pretty dark in there. And Jesus, I, this is a picture, he's washing my heart. That's weird. It's my heart, my blood pump in my chest. And that was, that's what I, they told me, and I believed it. And so I was imagining this, and that's just not what God's talking about. In his word, when he talks about the heart, the heart is the core of who you really are. All your parts and pieces, all together, unified in a single place. Craig Troxell in his book, With All Your Heart, says this, the word heart in scripture reflects our singular core, and yet it has a variety of nuanced meanings. Heart is the Bible's inclusive term to communicate our, un, our, our unified and rich nature within. Whenever we read the word heart in scripture, we should first understand it as a comprehensive term that captures the totality and unity of our inner nature. And so it's, it's the essence of who I am. It is my personhood. My personality is there. My thoughts, my volition, the choices I make, and yes, my affections. The way I, I feel about things is that uh, Westerners, we think, oh, the heart, that's emotions. No, it's everything united and complete. And the idea here is that, that our hearts need to be pure. Something needs to happen if we are to get back to that which we were created for. The scripture talks about the importance of the heart Proverbs 4.23 says, guard your heart or keep it with all vigilance, for from it springs the, uh, the issues or flow, flows the springs of life. The things that come out of you are ultimately sourced in the heart. Jesus actually described this in Luke 6. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. Watch this. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So our words aren't formed in our brain. They ultimately issue from the very core of our being and our personhood. Jesus also taught that sin is not so much an activity, but an attitude and thought of the heart. This is Matthew 15. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. So the heart is very important in Scripture but Jesus would also indicate, in the scriptures would indicate, the heart is also the lens of the soul. You got a dirty lens, a dead, damaged lens, you're not going to see anything of God. You got good lens, you're going to see much more of God. And that brings us to our bottom line. Bottom line of our message, if we were to boil it down and then you can take a nap for the rest of the time together. Um, the heart of flourishing is becoming pure in heart. The heart of flourishing, you want to flourish in this life and for eternity. At the heart of it all, the heart of all these beatitudes, the pinnacle of these beatitudes is that we would become pure in heart because without purity of heart, we are not going to see God. We can read about him, we can believe in him, but without a heart being remade, we will not see the Lord. We will not get that deep soul satisfaction that we're after. Our heart must be made pure. So, as we finish up today, three kinds of purity that are spoken. Actually, six kinds in the Bible. We're only looking at three. That we have something 
uh, to pay attention to today or something to respond to. Three kinds of purity. You ready for these? The first one is this. If the heart of flourishing is becoming pure in heart, then first off, I need the purity of a new heart. If I was born with an old dead heart, I need a new heart. I, I need a heart transplant. And wouldn't you know it all throughout the scripture, God set this up and he prophesied, gave, gave prophets utterance about this and then fulfilled it in the new covenant. Yeah, when Jesus took the cup after supper and he said, this represents the new covenant in my blood. You know that he's, he's saying Old Testament prophecy concerning the new heart are coming true right before your eyes. What's he talking about? The new covenant? Ezekiel 36, verse 25 through 26, God said this, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses. And from your idols, I will cleanse you and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And then Jesus fulfilled it in the glory of the new covenant. Now here's the deal. You cannot give yourself a new heart. You cannot give yourself a new covenant heart. All you can do is cry out to God and say, my heart sucks. It is filthy and dead. Oh God, save me. In fact, in the, in the preaching of, of the apostles, Acts 16, 31 Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. So today, you got an icky dead heart that cannot see God. Maybe it doesn't even want to see God. That's your dead heart. And you go, ooh, that's terrible. Yeah, it is. And all you can do is cry out to God. Call on the Lord Jesus Christ. You will be saved. He will give you a new heart and put his spirit in you. That's first. We need a new heart. Secondly, we need the purity of a unified heart. This is what we describe in the scriptures as sanctification, or uh, if the first one is imputed purity, this is imparted purity. That we grow in purity over time. But, but listen to this. When we think about purity, we're always thinking about like, you know, a wash basin and a wash rag and soap. Clean off the sin, right? Like little Jimmy thinking Jesus is in here cleaning off his heart. There's a, another metaphor in the scriptures that the, that the Hebrews, that the Jews had, that I want to drill down on, and it is, it's this. Not only is there an icky, dirty sinfulness that needs to be washed away, but at the same time, there's another picture, and that is this. The heart can be shattered into pieces, so that we have wayward thoughts and desires and decisions. And we're running in, in 15 different directions. The parts and pieces, we want this, but I also want that. And I'm confused. And we see it show up in the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 7. That which I want to do, I can't figure out how to do. And that which I don't want to do, I find myself doing. So then I kind of try to figure this out. And I agree that, that the law is good. And I want what God wants, but I can't figure out how to pull it off. And he's like 17, 20 years into walking with Jesus, 
planting churches, writing scripture by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and he still can't figure this thing out. Why? Because his heart is shattered and running into 15 different directions. And so the beauty of what the scriptural metaphor is in sanctification is the purity of a unified heart. Bringing all those wayward thoughts and ideas and temptations back together in a singular course of longing. And so we have a, a picture of this in, uh, in Psalm 86, 11, where the psalmist says, Teach me your way, O Lord, that I might walk in your truth. And then watch this. Unite my heart to fear your name. Unite my heart to fear your name. And guess what? When God brings the, the thoughts and the ideas and the fantasies and the hungers and the appetites and longings together and in line with what he wants, wouldn't that be a great day? What if your heart, like even your emotions, believed all the theology that your brain says it believes? Wouldn't that be an awesome day? Oh, times are hard, but God is good, and I feel like it's true. I'm not freaking out. No anxiety attacks. Would that be great to be done with anxiety attacks? How about waking up in the middle of the night and obsessive? Oh no, it's all good. Ah. Wouldn't it be great to have a united heart that fears God's name? A singular heart. A unified heart. Because this is sanctification. Bringing all the parts and pieces back together and in line with what God wants. This is what Soren Kierkegaard said about this. Purity of heart is to will one thing. One, I don't want 15 things anymore. I want one thing. I want him. If he wants me to do this, I do it. If he wants me to do that, I do it because I only want him. Unite my heart to fear your name. So first off is the purity of a new heart. Secondly is the pure, purity of a unified heart. And finally is the purity of a steadfast heart. If the first one is imputed righteousness or imputed purity, and the second is imparted purity, that you're actually growing and God's doing the work to, to unite your heart. This one is, what do I do to show up and partner with God in what he already wants to do in me? And this is called practical purity. This is what the psalmist said, Psalm 57, 7, my heart is steadfast. This is the wise man that built his life up on the rock. Sometimes there was a better view over there on the beach but the wise man said, no, I like the beach, but it's a lousy place to build a house. I'm building it on the rock. My heart is steadfast. My heart is steadfast, oh God, my heart is steadfast. I will sing and make melody. No matter what else is going on in my life, whatever temptations, trials, appetites, fantasies, God, my heart is steadfast. My heart is steadfast, I will sing and make melody. A steadfast heart is 100% committed to God and his sanctifying and transforming work. It says, God, whatever you need to do to get me to wherever you want me to be, so be it. Because in the end, I'm only after you. It is a singular, unified, committed, steadfast heart. We have a couple things in scripture that, that we can actually take responsibility for. For instance, Hebrews 12, 14 says to strive. The word there is to run hard after with all your strength sprinting as it was, strive for peace with all people and the holiness 
without which no one will see the Lord. So the writer of Hebrews blends these two ideas, being a man or a woman of peace and holiness. You don't have it, you're not going to see the Lord. Here's what James, the brother of Jesus, says to Christians, by the way. Draw near to God. You do it. Take responsibility for it. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. You do it. Do whatever you need to do to clean your hands and purify your hearts. You double-minded. So we're going back one step to the, to the shattered heart. Two different thoughts and ideas. Double-minded, stop that. We need to do what we do to become singular of heart. And then, wow, this one is just awesome. Um, another brother of, no, this is actually the Apostle John, um, not James. But uh, in, in John's first epistle, the same guy that wrote the Gospel of John, he says, see what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called the children of God, and so we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we, has, what we will be has not yet appeared, but we sh- know that when he appears, watch this, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. No hidden in the cleft of the rock, no tail end of his glory. There will come a day we will see him in his full glory. And then watch this. Everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself, just as he is pure. Some of this has to do with the things that we turn off in our life. Guys, every single one of you should either have your wife or your mom have permission to all of your passcodes on your cell phone, your iPad, and your computer. Why? Because there's too much crap out there. You're going to be too tempted. Someone needs full access. And wives and moms, actually look at them. Now, you have your own sins. I don't know how to solve that today. Stacey, you need to come up here and preach that one. But I know for dudes, there's so much stuff coming over, social media and the computer and so much temptation. One click away and click, click, click. And you're addicted for life and damaged Someone needs to have access codes to every single device that you own. And that someone, if you're that someone, say, hey, can I check it out now? And let's have a talk about what I saw. This is what the scripture says. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Make no provision for the flesh. This is what it means to to come and, and to have a steadfast heart. Say, God, I'm willing to do anything that I need to. I will get off social media 100%. Dump the account Why? Because I'm in earnestness here. I am steadfast to join with God in what he is doing in me already. To make in me a pure and holy new covenant heart. This is what John Owen said about this whole idea in his book called The Mortification of Sin. Do you mortify? Do you make it your daily work? Mortify means to kill it. Whatever it takes, do you mortify? Do you make it your daily work? Because... Be always at it whilst you live. Cease not a day from this work. Listen to this. Be killing sin or it will be killing you. That's what it means to be steadfast. Listen, y'all, without this new covenant heart, without this unified heart, without this steadfast heart, 
without this purity of heart, we will not see God. And yet it was what we were made for. It's who made us, and it's who we're going to see. That promise of seeing him can begin now. So here's the threefold invitation. Call on the Lord for a new heart. Scripture says, call on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Secondly, that you would cry out, oh Lord, create in me a clean heart. Unite my heart to fear you. Bring in all the shattered parts and pieces that I think I want, but I know I don't. Bring them together. Unify my heart to fear your name. And then finally, God, whatever do I, what do I need to do? What do I need to cancel? What do I need to, to sell, give away, break up? What is it that you would have of me so that I can live clean, that I might see God, that I might flourish? Let's pray. Father, we do pray together, create in us a pure heart, pure hearts, O oh God, and renew a right spirit within me. Lord, we were created by you and for you that we might see you. Sin has damaged this, but thank you for the promise of a new heart. Thank you for these tools. Thank you for your sanctifying work. But Lord God, we want to join you in that. Not that it's human effort. Lord, your word says that it's God who is at work within us to will and to work for your good pleasure. And so we want that, Lord. We want to be holy. We want to be pure. We want to see you, Lord, the, the, the burden, the addiction, the damage, the damage we cause to ourselves and others. Lord, we're sick of it. We want to be with you, to see you. We want to flourish in you. Pray that for myself. I pray that for this church. We pray for that, that for this community and this city that righteousness would be our mantra. That would be our goal. That would be our name. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thank you for listening to Journey Church Tucson Sermon Podcast. We'd love to have you join us in person on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. You can find out more about us at journeyefc.org.